Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Want to know what it takes to make a million bucks? Check out My First Million. Every week we dive into different business opportunities and explain how to pounce on them. From one-man online operations to brick-and-mortar strategies, we cover it all. So whether it's your first million followers or dollars, start getting inspired with My First Million wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sheila Shoiga and welcome to Ready To Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not, but my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort or simply entertain you. In this episode, I speak to salon owner and entrepreneur, Anna Hosty. I think I felt... You're so lucky to have your kids. You're not going to be lucky enough to have two. And I, I just had that feeling, yeah, yeah um, in my head. And I also feel like I've got everything else I want in my life. Um, every other part, I've never been touched by grief. Nothing bad has ever happened to me. I grew up in the happiest home. I married the loveliest person. We have a kid and I was like, this is my thing. Like Mm. as in everyone gets a thing and this is my thing. And that's okay. Anna is married to Dave and they live in Galway with their daughter Henrietta, who's six next month, and their dog Ozzy. She's also the co-owner of hairdressing group Urells and the co-founder of the hair supplement for mums called the Hair Vitamin Company. And as you'll hear at the beginning of our chat, I've known Anna for a long time now. But what I didn't know until recently was what she had been through personally. In this conversation, she shares her experience of fertility and motherhood, which includes the IVF process, joy, loss and trauma. She's a brave and wonderful person and I'm so grateful that she trusted me to help her tell her story. Please check the show notes before you listen as well, though, as it's an episode that is going to challenge some of you in particular. And I ask you to please park your judgment and open your heart and your mind to what you're about to hear as unless you've experienced the same, you have no idea how you'd respond. Anna, we know each other 20 years, I think. We do, absolutely. Maybe more. I cut your bob. (laughs) 
it's been a while since I had a bob. <laughs> and now that I'm back in Galway, it's it's lovely that I'm 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 back to you again. Yes. For the cut and colour. Yes, absolutely. Everything comes full circle. It does. Um, and it wasn't until actually a few visits back, we were sitting and chatting, and as a lot of people know, with their hairdresser, we it's your hairdresser becomes like your your therapist, your counselor. Yes. You end up, you know, sharing things often that you wouldn't tell some of your closest friends. Absolutely. We hear like the most random stories. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. 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 It's one of the favorite aspects of my job, actually. Yeah. And you have that vibe where people just feel comfortable. You've always struck me as the person who, and I know it's something you're actually going to touch on later in the conversation, but you don't judge other people. So no, you're, I don't. I'm sure you hear it all yes. and you're kind of just there yeah. going with the flow. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't think anybody should judge anybody until they walked in their shoes. Yeah, big time. But interestingly, the one of the last times I was in with you, rather than me telling you about, you know, what was going on in my life, which of course I did, because I always do. Yes. You ended up sharing with me what had been happening in yours. And I had, I had no idea what had, you had gone through over the past five, six years. Yes. Or maybe even longer. No, I think it's like... It's nearly six years. Mm. Um, it's a journey of the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. When I look back, I'm like, I can't believe that we have gone through that. Um, I actually was getting all my ducks in a row for this talk with my clinic and they sent me on the timeline of everything we had gone through. And when I looked at it, I was like, oh, wow, I can't believe that we've done all that. Yeah. You know, because you just go through it as it's happening. Um, and I'm always a person that's like never look back you're not going that way unless you look back to see how far you've come and I think in that moment I was like wow good on you yeah like really good yeah you know that I'm not often lost for words but the day you spoke to me I was um, well I was in awe of you and I, I really I really felt for you and I again I suppose it's a classic we have no idea what's going on in people's lives or Absolutely what's going on not. behind Closed yeah. doors, you know, and and a smile can hide so much pain, you know. Um, yeah. And you're so professional in your job, and and I know you're in a really good place in your life, but you've also been through so much, which we're going to get into. Before we get into it, let's talk about about you and Dave. Okay, so I actually um, when I was thinking about what I was going to say about Dave earlier on, um, when I grow up, I want to be just like Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he is the most fabulous person. He is like so supportive, loving. Um, I'm most comfortable when I'm with him. Um, he lets me be me. And sometimes I say if I'm out and I, or I'm in an uncomfortable um, place, yeah. I'm like, I just want to go home and get into today's pocket. And he's laughing, going, get away from me, Anna. But yeah, no, he's just fabulous. And like, I feel so lucky to have met him. So we got married and shortly after we got married, we decided we wanted to have family. Mm. Um, I wouldn't have the most motherly instincts ever, um, but Dave definitely wanted to have family. Um, we quick, quickly realised that it wasn't going to happen for us as easy as it would for other couples. Um, my story is a little bit different in the sense that some women decide to have kids and it doesn't happen and they're looking at other people going, why am I not pregnant? I think I went a year before I went, why am I not pregnant? Okay. Um, 
And then we went to see our doctor. We actually were with the Repromed Clinic in Galway, who I have to say have been absolutely amazing. Um, and we started our IVF journey. Um, I think that we were a little naive, as in, obviously, when you start it, you don't know what's ahead of you. Mm. So they basically give you medication. They grow your eggs. They take your eggs out of you. And then they fertilize them. And then you've got a five-day wait to see how many of those eggs would have fertilized. Um, I found the process actually quite easy. I was working. I was busy. Um, I kind of was in a grand, do the appointment, get into work, do your thing. I didn't think about it that much. Um, And I was okay up until they went to fertilize my eggs. Um... So my body loved the medication. It just loved it. It took off. I had like, I think I had 40 eggs on one ovary and 30 something on another. Oh, wow. Okay. And I would go into the scan and I'd be looking going, oh my God, that's amazing. And my nurse would be like, no, Anna, because we need to get each egg to a certain size before it's viable. Um, My nurse, Sienna, um, she's been with me from the start, from mm. start to finish and I have to say, I feel like it's a really lonely journey for some people because they don't talk about it. Um, I was very open, but she was so kind. I felt like she went through every emotion with me, every like bad thing or negative thing that happened. She felt it. I nearly she felt it more than I did nearly. Um, And I think that's really important. Anyway, fast forward. um, We had two, two eggs left on day five. And my hormones were through the roof because, as I said, my body loves the medication. So they had to go into the freezer until they got my body back down into a good enough state to put them back in. Okay. So they put them into the freezer. I went home, lived my life, and then they're ready to go back in. So they tell you they will ring you the morning of defrost. So when they take them out of the freezer to defrost them. So I knew we had one really good egg and one that wasn't so good, or embryo actually. Um, And they were like, we'll call you if there's any issues, but if not, you can be in the clinic for 11 o'clock. So I was looking at my phone going, please don't ring, please don't ring. And then at 20 past 10, my phone rang and it was the embryologist. And she was like, hi Anna, I've got good and bad news. So one of the embryos didn't make it out of the freezer and one of them did. So you're still good to go for transfer. Mm. And so it's bittersweet because it's bittersweet, yeah. yeah. So I was kind of thinking, oh, we're having a chance here now. Out of all those embryos, we've only got one left to go in. And then she said to me on the phone, she was like, Anna, it only takes one. Mm. And I was like, okay, we got this. So in we went to the clinic. And I remember asking her, is it the better embryo or the not so good embryo that's they're putting in? And she said to me, an embryo is an embryo. If it's made it to day five, it's still really good. So I put it out of my head. We popped in the embryo and then you wait. Sometimes you're better off not knowing. Absolutely. And looking back, I actually um, had a look through my medical files recently and it was the not so good embryo that went in. Interesting. And there she is. She's perfect. <laughs> and there she is. She's five. Um, yeah. So we had the two week wait. I, as I said, I've had 11 IVFs. No, I've had 14 and of every part of it, the hardest part for me is the waiting, is the two week wait. I think it's like the 
not being in control for me. I hate mm. flying as well. So I think it's the same thing. Um, so I think it was day 12. I decided that I would take a test and we took the test and I couldn't believe it when the two lines had popped up. Funny enough, I'd never actually taken a pregnancy test before this. It was the first pregnancy test I'd ever taken. Um, little did I know how many more I'd take in the future, but it actually was my first one. Yeah. Um, and they say to use your first morning urine. So I had woke up, I'd woken up at four o'clock in the morning and I was in the bathroom and I crept in and I took the test and I was like, oh my God. And I ran into my husband and I was like, we're having a baby. And that was it. And I don't think I realised how lucky we were or how fortunate we were for that to happen on our first round of IVF. Um, we were pregnant and it was amazing. Um, my pregnancy wasn't the easiest. Um mm. I went into, at 15 weeks, they actually stitched my cervix closed. Okay. Um, they were afraid I'd go into premature labour. Um, at 24 weeks, they thought I was going into labour. And we had to have a little chat with the NICU clinic to see what we would do if the baby decided to come early. But I think I always knew deep down it was going to be okay. Mm. I, I always had this feeling and it was okay. So at 36 weeks, my waters broke and I was convinced we were having a boy. Um, and uh, I went into labour and the doctor was like, it's a girl. And I was like, it's a what? <laughs> <laughs> and my husband was like, let's call her after my mum. So his mum had passed away and her name was Henrietta. Mm. Um, and if I had time to think about it, I don't know if I would have been as brave to call her Henrietta. But I was dosed up on all the drugs and I was like, absolutely. <laughs> fabulous name. So we have little Henrietta Hostie. And it is, it is, it is a gorgeous name. Yeah, I suppose because is. you have the alliteration brave, as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was it. And then naively I thought, perfect. We'll just have a little bit of IVF and we'll have another kid. So this is April. She's born in April 2017. She's born in April. Yeah. So yeah, so your your fertility journey started the year previous. Yes. So um, there's a lot more. There's a, unfortunately there's a lot there's a lot more to come. Yes. So there you are, your your new parents, and you're adapting to that. I mean, crazy transition. Yeah, from, absolutely. From not having children to yeah. having a child to yeah. mind a little human yes. being to mind. So how is how is that transition for you? I remember I took my first shot for IVF, and we were just opening our second salon. In, no, a third salon in Oranmore and I had to go out to welcome people and I had to go into the bathroom to take a shot before that and little did I know what was ahead of me Yeah, as in I kind of just went through the motions my life is quite busy um, I'm a strong person and um, being a mum is probably one of the hardest things that I've ever done Um. I remember after we had her, and I'd like to say this to anyone that does go through IVF, I found it so difficult. And um, Henriette had like colic and reflux and we had to go back into the hospital with her. She was jaundiced. Um, I had complications from the epidural and she literally did not stop crying. And I remember sitting in our sitting room one day and saying to my husband, we paid for this. We paid for it. <laughs> Other people get it for free and we paid for it. Um, so while it's the most rewarding thing, I have to say it was very difficult yeah. for me. It's like, it's so hard. 
you know. It is. Yeah. It is. And you know, that's that's why you see I See, with you, Anna, I love the fact that what I've always felt with you is, okay, so you're, you know, you're a brilliant businesswoman and you're great at your job and you're ambitious and you you move ahead. You're also, anyone who knows Anna knows, what you see is what you get. You're a bullshit-free zone, Susan language. <laughs> and I love that. Yeah. I love that about you. I love that about anyone because... You're a straight shooter. You're not going to sugarcoat it and you're not going to say something and be a people pleaser. Say what you think the, per- the other person wants to hear. So when you're speaking so honestly like this, sometimes people struggle to hear that because they're not maybe as comfortable being honest themselves. And I think if we were all a bit more honest, regardless of whether we're speaking about motherhood or otherwise, I think it would be easier for all of us. Yes. It's important to be able to say it's not always sunshine and flowers. Yeah. And it's not always easy. And particularly that transition in the early days. And when you're dealing with a baby with colic and the crying and you're trying to figure out what's wrong with them and they're not sleeping and you're exhausted. It's so hard. Yeah, absolutely. I remember walking down the prom. I'd say Henriette was about maybe four or five weeks old. And I met a girl I used to go to school with, the third baby who was fast asleep, looked like a little angel in the buggy. And my child was like tearing the place down. And I remember saying to me, Anne, it's magical, isn't it? And I looked at her and I was like, this is the furthest thing from magic that I can comprehend. And on top of that, I had the guilt of like, you are so lucky to have this kid. Um, This is all you wanted. You went through everything to have it. So you're not allowed to feel like this. Um, I feel lucky that I'm a strong person that I'm like, I'm allowed to feel like this. It's okay. Yeah. Um. And don't get me wrong, I love my kid. I know you like, do. Like, it's the best thing I've ever done. But it's hard. And, yeah. like, I think when... I, I'll never forget walking the buggy home and Henrietta screaming out of the buggy at me and thinking, magical. Like, no, this is not yeah. magical for me. Yeah. You know, and as years went on, obviously it's gotten easier and it is magical now. But it is difficult. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. And and it's important to be able to, to verbalise that. Yeah. So, um, at what stage did you, yourself and Dave, decide, okay, will we, will we go again? Will we, will we try um, uh, for, you know, another child? Okay, so um, when I was on maternity leave, I'm a very practical person, Sheila. So mm. I was like, I'm on maternity leave. Let's bank some eggs. And then when we use them, when we want to use them, we can. Um, so... I knew that I would probably overstimulate again. So overstimulation is when they give you lots of meds and your body loves the medication. Yeah, responds, almost over-responds. Over-responds to it. So did they give you less meds this time around? They gave me less meds, but my body still loved it. And I actually ended up with where they had given me too much um, and they had to actually drain my stomach. So your stomach fills up with fluid where it is um so they what we went through all of that and we banked some eggs so I kind of thought I was safeguarding myself they're in the freezer let's see what they can do um roll on I don't remember exactly how long and I was like okay let's pop one in at a time and see because I had had the stitch in my first pregnancy they weren't willing to put in any more than one because they they thought it would be quite dangerous for me to carry a twin pregnancy, um, which I was okay with. So they popped in the embryo and I was like, perfect, we'll just wait two weeks and I'll be pregnant. And that failed. 
and we literally went back to back with putting in those embryos and all else failed. And then I was like, okay, maybe we should give up. And how many round, like how many times did that happen? So they, we had four collections where mm. they grew my eggs. Yeah. And then I had 11 embryo transfers. And when I say about the two week wait, it's 11 by two. So I had 22 weeks of waiting to see if I was pregnant or not, which is really difficult. Yeah. Um, it's definitely what I found the toughest of all of it. I used to always ask myself the why. Why? Why am I doing this? Um, as I said, I found being a mum for the first time really difficult. But I also felt a bit robbed. I felt like, I think even though you've got a kid in your stomach and you know you're having a baby, until somebody puts that baby in your arms, you can't comprehend everything that's been growing inside of you. Well, I didn't. Mm. Or going through. So I was like, I'd love to experience it again, knowing what's ahead. I think I would like enjoy it a lot more, not be as nervous. I felt a little bit robbed and I was like, I'd like to do it again so I can do that. But my main priority was I never wanted Henrietta to say, why do I not have a brother or sister and not be able to answer that question for her? I grew up in a house of my lovely mom and dad and I had two sisters. I'm in the middle. So I was used to having siblings and I always had this guilt that she'd be an only child and a guilt that I'd be like, have I done everything to give you a sibling? So that's that's my why. That's why yeah. I went through what I went through. So on our 11th transfer, um, we are in the middle of COVID. And yes, they, this, is, this is 2020. This is 2020. Um I was down to my lovely Sienna again in Reprimed and we had the embryo transfer. I went home and within about a week, I was so sick. I could not stop vomiting. And I remember saying to my husband, I think I'm pregnant. And Dave does a lot of eye rolling at me now because he, <laughs> I love the drama. <laughs> and um, he was like, how do you know? You're only like, it's only seven days. And I was like, no, I definitely think I am. And you're not supposed to test for, I think it's day 12 mm. or they do a test in the clinic and I done a test and within a second there was two lines and I could not believe it. Like we were so happy. Um, I couldn't believe after everything we had been through mm. and it was October, September, October. And I was like, so we'll be able to tell like our families at Christmas and everyone's going to be so happy for us. And it's such a nice time. and. I was so sick the whole way through. Like for the next few weeks, I I literally was vomiting 24-7. Um, I went down for my first scan and Dave uh, unfortunately wasn't able to go because it was COVID. Um, but I had Sienna who was more excited for me than myself or if I had a family member with me. And we heard the heartbeat and everything was amazing. Mm. Um it was the happiest of happiest of days. And I sent the video on to Dave and I was like, I can't believe it. Like we finally, we've done it. Like it was all worth it. Um, We had a harmony test, which is a blood test that they check for chromosomal abnormalities with Henrietta. 
and you cannot have that test until you are 10 weeks pregnant and it takes about two weeks for the results to come back. Did we comprehend the results of it? No, because when we got the results from Henrietta, the secretary rang and said, everything's okay, you're good to go. Mm. So I then transferred to my gynecologist who was amazing, um, Dr. Nick, and I had the Harmony test. So roll on to November. I was leaving work one evening. Um, COVID is still pretty bad. It is bad. It's getting worse at this stage. And I was walking out the door of work and my phone rang and I could see that it was my gynecologist number. And I answered the phone with the happiest. Hi, how are you? And when I heard Dr. Nick's voice, I was like, this isn't good because the secretary had rang me when it was okay. So I kind of knew. And he said, hi, Anna, where are you? And I said, I'm just leaving work. And he was like, I'm wondering if you could drop into my office on the way down. Um, And I was like, yes. And I was like, Nick, you have the results of my harmony test and they're they're bad, aren't they? And he was like, I'm going to talk to you when you get to my office. And I said, "Okay," And I hung up the phone. And I remember getting in the car, driving down by the Crescent and thinking, my life is never going to be the same again. I don't know what I'm walking into, but it's not good. Um, I don't think we had the discussion whether Dave would come in or not to the appointment, but I'm not the type of person that like likes anyone rubbing their back. I'm very like, give me the facts and then I'll deal with them after. Mm. Um, so I went into the doctor's office. I sat in the waiting room and my GP actually happens to have her Um, surgery in the same premises and she had obviously looked at my results and she came to get her next client and she looked at me and I looked at her and I said how bad is it and she said we'll wait till you talk to Dr Nick and my door is going to be open when you're finished with him and then I knew and I was like here we go so I sat in um, his office and he said I'm so sorry Anna um, I have your results and we're looking at chromosomal abnormalities and I said okay and I said will this baby live and he said yes probably and I said will this baby live what kind of a life will this baby live and he said nobody can answer that but I knew that it was not looking at the results I knew it was not going to be a full life Um, and he was like let's just do a scan and see where you're at and we had a scan and the heartbeat was as strong as ever so he said I'm going to let you go away and think about it and see what you want to do going forward so I knew straight away that this was not something that I was going to do. Um, not for me, not for Dave, not even for the kid that was growing inside of me. It was for Henrietta. Because she was an only child, I had I had looked at a lot where the kid that is the only child is left behind looking after another child. And it's just not what I wanted for our family. And loads of people decide to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. They're amazing, but it just wasn't for me. Um, I remember driving home and thinking in my head, oh my goodness, what if Dave doesn't agree with my decision? 
um, what are we going to do? And I walked in, I think he took one look at my face and he said, it's going to be okay, Anna. And I told him what the doctor had said and he was like, I agree with whatever you think. We will do whatever you want to do. And at 11 o'clock that night, my doctor rang me and I was like, Nick, judging by these results, going ahead with this pregnancy is not something that either of us are comfortable with. So um, can you arrange like whatever we need to do next? Um, he was very wise and said, I would like to do more testing before you make any decisions. This blood test is only, I think it's 85% accurate. So I'd like to get more information. So I said, perfect. And he was like, I'll try and sort that out for you as soon as possible. Um, I think when he looked at it, it was nearly two weeks before somebody could see me in Galway to do that. So at this stage, so we know that it's, uh, you know, it takes time to get the results from the Harmony. If you had the Harmony around 10 weeks, you're yeah. probably already at I was at 11, no, okay, I was 11 and five days. Uh, uh, having that conversation yes. with Nick. Yeah. Okay. And then the next time you have a test or a scan, you're also further along again. Yes. Yeah. So, so it was going to be two weeks later before okay. um, somebody could see me in Galway. And I wasn't okay with that. Um, I actually like, I think that's when I started to freak out because I had this baby that we longed for growing inside of me. And it. I just, I couldn't comprehend walking around every day knowing that and I don't know trying to come to terms with that until we knew mm. um he was absolutely amazing I think he made a phone call to me at 12 o'clock at night and was like Anna can you be in Hollis Street tomorrow morning at nine o'clock and I was like absolutely and he was like they'll do all the tests that you need and um we'll go from there so we Left our house in Galway at six o'clock in the morning, drove to Hollis Street, got to the door and the security guard was like, you can go in to me and uh, said to Dave, you can't come in. It's COVID and it's really difficult. Um, and I think my husband looked at him like, are you actually serious? And he ended up letting Dave come up with me. And we were brought into a room and there was four doctors and there was some other, I don't know, I think they were like teaching some medical people. Okay. And they were like, we're going to scan you and we'll have a look and see what we can see and we'll go from there. So I think they took about 20 minutes scanning me and they were saying that nothing they could see on my blood results were showing up on the scan that they were looking at. So... They said, would you like to go ahead and you can have an amniothesis or a CVS? So an amniothesis where they go in through your belly and a CVS is where they go in vaginally to take some um, cells from the placenta. So I said, absolutely. Um, my professor there um, was the most amazing man and he was so sympathetic and so nice. And um, I said to him, how long for results? And he said, it would be about two weeks. And he said, have you decided what you're going to do? And I said, yes. And he just made me feel so comfortable in that moment. Um, 
he said, I promise and I will try and get the results back to you as soon as possible. Was there any, if this is not too insensitive to ask, yeah. at this point, because they couldn't see anything on the scan, was there a part of your brain that was saying maybe maybe the results were wrong? No. 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 I you just, had this feeling? Yeah, I just knew. I knew. Okay. I think because I was so sick from the start. And, I remember and it was a different pregnancy it was to a how different, you felt. Yeah, okay. absolutely. And also, when we were driving up to Dublin to Hollis Street, I, I'll never forget it. My husband looked over at me and he was like, oh my God, Anna, this is so awful, isn't it? And I was like, yeah, it's really awful. But you know what would be more awful? If the child we did have was sitting in the back and we were going to Crumlin because there was something wrong with her. So I tried to like take the grateful aspect of it. And also loads of women go through this journey and never get a kid. Like I felt like we have a kid. We're so lucky, you know. And I just try and live my life like that. I'm a very grateful person. Um, and I'm kind of like, I think I felt you're so lucky to have your kid. You're not going to be lucky enough to have two. And I, I just had that feeling. Yeah. Um, in my head. And I also feel like I've got everything else I want in my life. Um, Every other part, I've never been touched by grief. Nothing bad has ever happened to me. I grew up in the happiest home. I married the loveliest person. We have a kid and I was like, this is my thing. Like mm. as in everyone gets a thing and this is my thing. And that's okay. I just knew, I knew, I just knew that. Okay, so even when they were scanning and they yeah, were saying when we they can't were scanning see, and saying they we can't see anything. You weren't I, getting your hopes up. No, I wasn't. Right, okay. I had no glimmer of hope. Right. I didn't. And did Dave... Um, I suppose you can't answer I th- for him no, necessarily. I can't answer for him, but I think he did a little bit. Okay. Um, but I, I, I'd be quick to take him back down to earth. I suppose because you know your personality, you're you're very you're very pragmatic. Yes. And so you're not you're you've already in your mind made the decision. Yes, I've moved forward. Mm-hmm. Um. So we go home. So they do that test. They, they do the test, okay. yeah. And they're saying it'll be two weeks to wait. So and again, this you is, have to wait. Yes, you have to wait. It's the waiting. I hate the waiting. Oh, yeah. I came back from Dublin. I actually went to work the next day. Did and you? I got up in the morning. My husband was like, where are you going? And I was like, work. And I don't know how I went through work. Um, I have the most amazing business partner and yeah. like friend. And... She said that evening, go home. I never, I don't want to see you again. Like, you're not able to do this. So I did. And I waited. And I'll never forget. I was walking out of Dunn stores and my phone rang. And I looked at the phone and I could see that it was a Dublin number. And I was like, okay, here we go. And it was a professor. And he was like, hi, Anna. Um, I'm really sorry to tell you that we have the results back. And they're everything that the blood test has said. And probably a little bit more. And I was like, okay. And I, he said, have you decided what you're going to do? And I was like, we have. And he said, okay, that's really good. And I remember him saying, the very best of luck to you. And I'm so sorry that this happened. And he was like, I phoned your gynecologist and he's going to call you. Um, And I hung up the phone and I took a deep breath. And like, I wasn't any sadder. If that's a thing. Had you already accepted it? I had, yeah, I had accepted it. Yeah. I know that 
you don't want to get into the fine detail yeah. and I, I fully respect that. But what are you comfortable to say in terms of what the results showed? I mean, it was I, I'm 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 guessing it was it was profound. Yes. So um the results showed that although this baby would live, um, it wouldn't live a life that would be a full life. Um, we would be spending a lot of time in hospital and um a lot of testing, a lot of operations and while that child would be in hospital, somebody else would be at home minding my other child and that's not that wasn't okay with me because like I had her to raise her and not for somebody else to raise her. So I felt like I'd be sacrificing one thing to like make another thing okay and it just it it didn't sit okay with me and it never did and people do it all the time and they're amazing but this was my opinion and my my decision on what was best for us as a family yeah yeah and again we mentioned it at the beginning but it's important to reiterate for anyone listening including myself sitting here I have not gone through what you've gone through I have no idea what that's like. I have no idea what what it's like to be in that position of having a choice to make. But I would imagine if we really are honest with ourselves and ask ourselves what we might do, we might actually open ourselves up to actually having more compassion for the situation you found yourself in. Mm-hmm. And realize that it's not always black and white, and it's not always a simple yes or no answer. It's 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 really complicated, and it has to be, it has to be the right the right thing mm-hmm. for the person themselves. And also, I'd like to say, I think if this was my first child, my decision probably would have been completely different. Do you think so? I do. Yeah, I do. I definitely do. Okay. Because I was reading a thing lately, and it's like, how do people that are brought up in the same house? not turn out the same way. Mm. And it's like nobody is brought up in the same house. You know, your parents are different. Their values are different. And I think that like goes to show for our house, this was a different situation. If it was my first pregnancy, um, I think my decision probably would have been different. But I don't know because I was a different person for this time around. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then I get a phone call and I say to my gynecologist, so can you sort that out for me? Can I get this done before Christmas? I just need it to be over. So is this, is this November or December at this, this stage? This is November and we're sitting in the car park in Duns. Yeah. And he goes a little bit quiet on the phone and then he says, you know, you can't do that in Ireland, Anna. And it was like all the lights went out. And I was like, excuse me, did we not vote for this? Mm. So we all went out and we voted Repel the 8th and we all thought we were like perfect. Um, And he said, no, you're over 12 weeks. There's no risk to your life and your baby will live past 28 days. So you cannot you have a termination in Ireland. Yeah. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all. 
jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. If you're a Shark Tank fan or business junkie, check out the podcast Another Bite. Each week, Another Bite breaks down the biggest success stories and most disastrous failures to come out of Shark Tank. The hosts break down each company's pitch, analyze the deals that were or weren't made, and answer the million-dollar question, are they still a company? Whether you're an entrepreneur looking for tips or a Shark Tank fan that just wants to relive the drama, Another Bite's your deep dive into the world of Shark Tank. Just search for Another Bite in your favorite podcast app, like the one you're listening to right now. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I felt so loved and cared for the whole way through my IVF. I had all these like amazing nurses and doctors around me. Um everybody trying to help me. I went to Hollis Street. They were so kind. Everyone was so nice. And then suddenly it was like, no, we can't help you anymore. That's it. And that's what's so difficult about it also is that they weren't even able to give you information. No. Um, I was trying to actually fact check this before I came on, but I think it's still a criminal offence for somebody to assist someone with uh, an abortion after 12 weeks in Ireland. Um, so they're risking their careers. They're risking their careers. If and they tell you anything. I think it's really hard because they really want to help. Mm. They were so kind. Everybody that I was in contact with done their absolute best to assist me and helped me. But I think they're all really afraid of what they can and can't do because the boundaries are very blurred and what you can and can't do. So... Um, I actually felt really bad for all the medical people that were trying to assist me. Um, as I say, my lights went out. I went home to my husband and I said, I'm done. You need to figure this out. I can't take any more. I was at my limit and, um, my husband was amazing. He went online. He found a clinic that deals with termination of fetal abnormalities he booked flights. I had a Zoom consultation with the doctor and a counsellor from that clinic before I went over and our flights are booked and ready to go. Um, I would like to say now we were at the 17th of December. Um, COVID is getting really bad and the world is trying to shut down. And how many weeks are you at this stage? I am 13, 13 weeks, Okay, maybe a little bit more. Um, and our flights kept getting cancelled and we were trying to rebook flights. So I rang my mom and dad and they came up and they're amazing. Like they're my people. Um, Mm -hmm. I've got lots of people. I've got the most amazing like friends and family and the people I work with. I'm just like, you need a good tribe around you. And I did have that. Mm. And I remember getting dressed in the morning that we were leaving. So we were leaving Galway at four o'clock in the morning. And I remember putting on clothes that I'm like, 
I want to put on something that I'm going to put in the bin when I come home because I'm very visual. I remember what I was wearing. I might not remember your name, but I remember what someone was wearing. Mm. So I remember I'm going to put on clothes that I'm just going to come home and put in the bin. And we set off in the morning um, really early and we went through checkpoints of guards stopping us, asking us, why are you traveling? You shouldn't be traveling. It's not okay to travel right now. Um, we got to the airport and people asked us again, why are you traveling? It's not okay to travel. And did you have to explain? I actually couldn't. I wasn't able. Um, we had letters from our doctors. Okay. And I think that Dave just like, I don't know, did he hand over a letter or I, I, I think I like blanked it out because I was like, head down, let's do this. Mm. Um, we got to Liverpool Airport and it's Christmas and there's Christmas lights and Christmas songs and I love Christmas. I like, I love it. Um, and I remember looking around going, nobody knows what we're here for. Like there was all these people going over shopping. I remember looking at them going, oh my God, they're so lucky. They don't know like why we're here. And I remember there was a little kid standing beside me and he was singing a Christmas song. And I was like, does he not know? Like, why is he singing a Christmas song? This is like the most miserable time ever. Um, We got to the clinic and I actually had an Irish nurse in the clinic. So normally at this stage, partners are not allowed into the clinic because of COVID. Um, But they allowed um, my husband to come in because we had special circumstances. And we sat in the waiting room and there was two other couples there. And there was a lady and she was definitely a lot more heavily pregnant than I was because her, her, she's quite a big bump. And I just, I, I'll never forget hearing her crying. And I knew they were Irish because her husband took out like his Irish card and it was like Bank of Ireland. And I remember saying to my husband, oh my God, they're from Ireland as well. And she just she was wailing and I was like oh my god Dave I feel so sorry for them and he was like Anna you're sitting in the same seat as them but like I think when you're looking at someone else I think it was the only way I was able to deal with it because I was looking at them going this is so bad um anyway were you kind of was it a case of detaching from what you were going through to protect yourself or I don't really know I think that I kind of move on pretty quick. Okay. So I was nearly gone past it before it even happened, if that makes sense. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, My nurse was Irish and she was amazing. And she, the first thing she said to me, she was like, you're Irish. And I was like, I am. And she said, I'm so sorry that your country has let you down. And I am so sorry that you had to come here to do this. And it was so nice. I just felt like, that's very powerful. I felt like home. Yeah, like, but the fact that, you know, because I, I suppose the fact that you're saying that in that in that short time that you were there, another couple were Irish, you guys are Irish, and yeah. she says that she's probably seeing so many Irish yes. come over. Yeah. Um, it's terribly sad. Yes. Um, we... I then went into surgery and I had opted to be knocked out for the procedure. Yeah. Um, and the anesthesiologist, um, he was a lovely man. He put the cannula in my arm and he was like, I'm so sorry to have, have to ask you this, but are you sure? 
And I remember looking up at him going, if you knew everything we had done to be here, I am sure. And that was it. I woke up and um, Dave was in recovery waiting for me. And I remember opening my eyes going, is it over? And he was like, it's over. You're going to be okay. And I was like, we're going to be okay. We can do this. Um, And as I said, I did not want to stay overnight. I just wanted to go home. I wanted to be back at home with Henrietta in my own bed. Yeah. Um, so the advised us to stay overnight. But against that, I decided I was going home. So we hit for the airport and it was the most horrific journey home ever. Um, We had to get a bus and a train and a taxi and I had started bleeding very heavily um, at the time. And I just think it's absolutely like so wrong that I had to go through that to get home. Whereas if I could do that in Ireland, I could have just come home to my own bed. Yeah. Um, I just don't think that's okay for women. Um, when we got to the airport, the whole airport was like black. It was like the end of the world was happening. And I looked over at my husband and I was like, we're not getting home. It's the 18th of December. It's Christmas. And we're not getting home. And he was like, we are. And I was like, the airport is closed. Like, we're not getting home. And we got off the bus and we sat outside the airport and it was still black and I was freaking out going, we're not getting home. And then suddenly this security guard arrived out the doors and he said, you're not actually going through the airport. We're going to take you around the airport. And we went around the outside, like duty free was closed. There was no food, everything. And we got on the flight and we were probably one. I think we were the last flight out of the UK before they stopped people traveling and shut down the airports and no traveling in the UK. Yeah. So, I mean, the stress (laughs) of that alone, even if you were, say, as you said, when you saw when you arrived and you saw people just going on on a shopping trip, say if you were even that person yeah that experience alone is so stressful yeah that will we get home because of covid yeah but you've also gone through what you've what you've just gone through and physically so much is happening as you said you were you were bleeding a lot there was you know oh god love you yeah right so the the mental and emotional and physical trauma yes of that is yes is off the scale yeah and it is a trauma and we got home, I think we got home at like four o'clock in the morning and I remember walking in the front door and just going, thank God we are home. And then it was Christmas. Um, I got totally freaked out when I came home because we didn't know much about COVID at the time and I kept getting these text messages from the HSE saying you've travelled outside of Ireland, you need to isolate, um, you are at risk of giving vulnerable people COVID. So I had this thing in my head going, I can't go near anyone. I'm going to give them COVID. We've been in the UK. We'll definitely give them COVID. And my mom was like, you're coming down for Christmas. That's it. Absolutely not. And I did. And we went home for Christmas. And I, after Christmas, the world shut down. So everything closed. My business closed, everything. And it was the best timing for me ever. Yeah. Because... Although I was okay, I felt that if 
something bad happened or I had one more little bit of stress that I wouldn't be able to deal with it. My cup was so full that I was just sitting on the end of it. Um, So obviously those closest to you, your family and your friends all knew the decision you made and what you had been through. Yes. Yeah. And were there as a support. Yes. Brilliant. Um, So... Is that time afterwards? Is it does it feel like a, a blur, or or is it a clear is it a clear period in your life? Um, I think it's a very clear period in my life. Um, my GP suggested that I do some counselling. Yeah, and I was kind of like, no, I'm okay. I d- I don't need to do counselling, but I'm okay. But I'll do it because why not? You know, I'm all up for whatever makes you better. So I remember sitting in front of the counsellor. And she started on to me about the guilt. And she was like talking about, do you have guilt? And I was like, I have no guilt. Like I have grief and I have trauma, but I don't have guilt about my decision. But what's really funny that came up was I could not say the word abortion to her. Okay. I just couldn't. And I grew up in a house that we were brought to mass when we were young. It wasn't particularly Catholic. When we were old enough, we weren't may go to mass. My parents aren't holy in any way, shape or form. But I always felt like the word abortion was such a dirty word Mm -hmm. and I couldn't actually say it out loud. So I think it's really like something to be aware of. Like we're still in this culture of like. Yeah, we're conditioned. We're conditioned, mm. even though I wasn't brought up in a world that would be conditioned like that. So when did you get okay or are you okay with saying the word now? I am totally okay with saying the word. Um, I found going through the counselling very good. My poor counsellor, I think she sat there with me for weeks trying to get through to me and I just kept looking at her going, I'm okay, I'm okay. And at one stage she said to me, and I can't, I don't know how to break through with you, so I'm going to try something. Right. And she said, I want you to stand on a balcony and look down on yourself before you go through this journey. What would you tell that girl? And I couldn't answer her for weeks without crying. Okay. Because I felt so bad for her. I felt so bad for her and I wasn't able to like get the words out. And I could see Dave standing beside me and I just couldn't look at those people. Um, And she said, you're not okay until you can talk to her. And I know a lot of people like write letters to their 16 year old self or whatever, but it was the only way that I was able to like talk to that person. And she said, what do you want to say to her? And I was like, I want to say I feel so sorry for her, but that she's going to be okay. Like that it's going to be okay in the end. Yeah. And I think maybe like 13 weeks later, I was able to talk to that girl from the balcony and tell her that she's going to be okay. Um, I think... I look back and I'm like, what is my aftermath of all of this? And I, although it was the hardest of times, I've also learned so much from it. Um, The love and kindness of people, like, it just makes me stop in my tracks. Like, people are so kind, like, from my clinic, who are amazing, my friends, my work family, my husband, my business partner, my mom and dad, my sisters, I just, the sense of love, I can't even get past. And also, I think in every bad thing that happens, there's also good. So 
if I didn't have the grief of having to have a termination, I wouldn't have had the joy of like looking at that pregnancy test. I think like grief and joy are all the same thread. They're all one thing. And loads of people say to me, oh my God, you're amazing. Like you're so good. You're doing so well. And yes, I am. But you don't move on from grief. You move forward with it and you take it with you in your journey and you're a different person and that's okay. And I remember someone saying to me once, grief is like being stuck in a shipwreck and it's like being out at sea and holding on to a piece of that shipwreck and looking at everyone else standing on dry land, wondering if you're ever going to stand beside them. And if you keep swimming, you'll get there. And it's the truest thing I ever heard. So for longer periods of time, you strand on dry land with your tribe and you might go undersea to look at the shipwreck. But if you keep swimming, you'll always come back up. And I'm so grateful for having Henrietta, having Dave and like all the amazing, kind people and the love that I have in my life. And that's where I'm at. So I'm really good. Yeah, that's amazing. It's fantastic to be at that place. Yes. You know, it's really healthy. It's really good for not just for you, but for for you guys as a family and for everyone around yeah. you. And um, it's also if this I hope this sounds OK to yeah. say this, not not necessarily. It's almost like not necessarily to you, but those listening, it's very un-Irish. And I hope you get what I'm trying to say here, because I think we like to beat ourselves up a lot. Yeah. And that thing about the guilt. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. not just applies to this situation, but other situations as well. That we're meant to kind of, you know, beat ourselves up if things don't go the way we want it or we make a decision that, you know, is difficult. But isn't it a far healthier and better place to get to when you can release yourself of that negative feeling that'll only drag you down further? Absolutely. And like, it's so funny. Um, we have the most fabulous neighbours who live across from us and they have um, three little kids and they're like Henrietta's brothers and sisters. And... Henrietta said to me there a few weeks ago she was like how come I don't have brothers and sisters like they do and I was like this is the moment that I have been waiting for and I said to her I was like Henrietta we tried everything to give you a brother or a sister and we just couldn't do it and I was so happy to be able to say that with such conviction because we had yeah and um, she looked over at me and she was like oh yeah fine and then that was it and she went off and played and anyone who knows her, she's such a diva. If I gave her a brother or sister, she'd have a nervous breakdown <laughs> that she'd have to share anthem with them. Um, and she's so lucky that we've got like our little neighbours with her. And I walked away from that conversation with no guilt. Yeah. And I was so happy to be able to say to her, we tried everything. Yeah. And we did. And you did because this is not the end, I suppose, of your fertility journey at this point. No. You know, we, this is now, this is now, say, early 2021. Yes. But you, you like it doesn't end here. No. So we then had three embryos in a freezer that I was like, what am I going to do with these embryos? I had the guilt of I can't leave them sitting there. But am I strong enough to use them? And yeah. after a lot of conversations, um, we decided to use them. So we popped in one first. And I got a positive pregnancy test. How are you feeling about that then? Um, okay. Yeah, really okay. I Were you hopeful? No, I kind of knew it was the end of our journey. Did you? But if I had left them there, I would have been always like, what if? 
So maybe I didn't know it was the end of my journey. So even though you got a, a positive result. Yes. You didn't feel it was. No. Okay. And again, so I still had Sienna, my angel, yeah. <laughs> guiding me through. And she was like, no, Anna, positive is a positive. And I was like, Sienna, I kind of know my body now. And I'm like, this is going nowhere. Right. Um, And we had a miscarriage. And then we had two left and I kind of decided at that stage I want the two to go in together because I can't do three. I can't leave it behind but I can't do another transfer so this will be our last one. Okay. And we had another miscarriage and that was the end. Um, Was it sad for me? No, I actually had a relief. There's a relief of being free of like the cycle of IVF. Um, we had done six years of it. Yeah. Your whole life revolves around it. You're like, I can't go on holidays. What if I'm going to treatment? You can't make plans. And I was free. Yeah. yeah. I was free. I was like, I'm free. I've done everything. Nobody can say that I didn't give it my all. I did. And we're free. And I was so happy to be able to like move forward with my life and give Henrietta everything, every part of me that I should have that I wasn't giving her while I was doing treatment. Um, and there was a really, I think we had come full circle at that stage. Yeah. How do you feel about the IVF process now, having been through it in such an extensive way? Um, I think it's amazing because I don't think we would have our kid Yeah, yeah. if it wasn't it. But... I also was talking to someone that was going through IVF recently enough and they've done a few. And I always say, if you want to be a mom, you'll be a mom. Some way or another. You mm. may not have your own child. You may not go down the traditional route. But if you go for long enough, you'll be a mom. Mm-hmm. And I do think that. Um, it's not for the faint hearted by any means. I sometimes think it's like it's like putting money in a slot machine, pulling the thing, the trigger and hoping that it's going to be OK. But I also have this thing that when you're meant to be a mom, you'll be a mom. And if you're not meant to be a mom, you'll be something else. Yeah, it's not always a path for everyone. And you can be extremely fulfilled uh, in other areas of your life also. Um, and a lot of a lot of women listening will also be in a situation where maybe it hasn't happened for them yet, and the grief with the not happening is a huge thing. Oh my god, it's so huge! Like grief is all-consuming, and it's different for everyone. Yeah. Um, I think that nobody can console you in that. You know, like I had a few friends that would have been going through their fertility journey. And they could not look at anybody else being pregnant or, you know, watching other people's videos of here's my baby or I'm pregnant or amazing. I never had that for some reason. I think because I had been through such difficulty when I saw someone else pregnant, I'd be like, good on you. Like, you're so lucky that it worked for you. And also, I kind of have this thing that people look at other people and think, oh my God, they're so lucky. Or with social media and they're looking at, oh, she's got an amazing life. Yeah. Everybody has something that someone else wants. Mm. You know, and I'm like, this is my thing. This is what I don't have. But I have everything else I want. 
So that's okay. And I was saying to my husband recently, I was like, I just turned 40 this year. And I was like, if this is the worst thing that has happened to me in 40 years, then I'll take it. Mm. You know, um, so everyone's got their own journey and grief is grief and you just got to deal with it in your own way. But I do think that everyone has something that everyone else wants. Yeah. So I'm always yeah. grateful for what I have. Yes. Yeah. And you can feel it from you. You're, you're, we already said it during the conversation. You're not somebody to say it if it's not absolutely 100% true. Anyway, you're not going to sit here. No. And say, I'm good. I, if you're not. No. No, if I I love giving out. I love the depression. <laughs> I'm Irish. <laughs> well, you're if just I, you're what you see is what you get. You see, you're just you know. If I, mean? I could be giving you the misery here, I would definitely give it to you. But no, I am. I am you're at okay. Peace. Yeah, I'm at peace. Am I over it? No, I don't think anyone's ever over grief. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I bring it with me and okay. I carry it, and it's all like it's all the same emotions mixed into one. So, yeah, yeah. I, am I different? Yes. Am I better? Absolutely. Am I stronger? Yes. Um, have I got more empathy for people? Definitely. And I've learned so much from it. But also, is it absolutely so horrific? Yes, it is. Yeah. It might be a difficult question to ask yes. or even more so to answer, but has it made you a better mother? Yes. It has. Um, I don't think that I appreciated how lucky we were to have Henrietta first off. Um, because I was naive and I was like, oh, we'll just do IVF and you get a kid. Um, I'm definitely a better mother. Um, because I appreciate being a mother more. Um, do I have meltdowns? Yes. Yeah. Um but I just try and take a breath sometimes. And I was saying to my husband the last day, during that period when we got back from the UK and it was just after Christmas, I remember like running in the woods or in the morning I woke up and I felt so sad and I had this like heavy feeling in my heart. And then that evening we went for a walk in the woods and I remember Henrietta and Dave were running ahead of me and I had this absolute joy looking at her and I'm like, how can you feel so sad and so happy in the same day? So, um, yes, I am definitely a better mother. I think if I didn't have her or Dave to run in the woods with in the evening, I would be a different person. So I think it's great to be able to sit here. And I am one of the lucky ones to have that joy in the afternoon because some people don't get that joy. So, yes, I'm a better mother and definitely a better person. Yeah. You know, I think this about you anyway, but I really think you're incredible. And I know people who know you and know what you've been through say the same to you. Um, Thank you. Sitting here and being willing to share your experience uh, with us is uh, a very powerful thing to do. Thank you. I, I hope that if I help one person or someone feels less alone, because I, I do still think all of this is a really taboo subject in Ireland and they don't talk about it. Yeah. As a hairdresser, I talk to loads of different women every day. And when I talk about the IVF journey, um, they'll whisper to me, oh, we had IVF as well. Yeah. And I'm like, why are you whispering? Like, it's so lonely. Like, talk to someone. It's OK. It's not your fault. You know? Yeah. Um, 
I never had that because I'm like, it is what it is. Yeah. But I feel so sorry for people that are doing the journey alone and you don't have to. Well, you'll, you'll have helped so many people who are listening because, again, you're shining a light on something, as you said, is taboo. And there's a huge amount of judgment yes. around decisions that are made. Yes. And also, I think I was speaking to one of my doctors in the clinic um, before I come on to get some information and their hands are tied like it's so hard for them. So, Sheila, let's say you decide you want to have a termination for whatever reason. Um when you tell the doctor that you want to do that, you have to wait three days. So you have to have a three day cooling off period. So you're actually 11 weeks and however many days. And like some people have really irregular cycles. You know, you could be way far past that before you decide, before you even find out you're pregnant. Yeah. But yeah. Um, the GP was saying to me, our hands are so tied. The three day wait is the decision between you can have it here or you need to go to the UK because if you're just inside that window and especially with myself and IVF, when they put the embryo into me, it was five days old already. So the clock was ticking. So they have to take that into consideration. So that's five days gone. They need to do a three day wait and then everything that goes with it. So I think it's really hard. I think that the laws need to be changed and we need to have these conversations. And like me, I I didn't know that you couldn't do this in Ar- in Ireland. I was as shocked as everyone else was. And mm. I was like, did we not vote for this? Yeah. But we didn't. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah. You're no longer doing therapy? Absolutely not. My poor friends have taken up that. <laughs> 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 My poor husband. Um, no, I'm not. Um, I feel like I don't need it. It sounds like you you had a breakthrough. Yes, I did have a breakthrough. Yeah. Um, and when you got to that place, when she speaks about like standing on the balcony and looking down at yourself yeah. and you said, you know, every time it just yeah. brought you to tears yes, and you weren't able to I go couldn't. there. I wasn't able. But when you got to the point where you could have a conversation with yourself yes. in that way, what, what, what was that conversation like? Um, it was the, you're going to be okay. It was a, you're going to be okay. And I feel so bad for you. But it was also, I could see my husband standing beside her and I was like, I knew it would be okay then. Because yeah. um, you're a good team. Yeah, he's amazing. And I think going through IVF is really difficult for a couple. It's very isolating. Um, but you need to work really hard at staying together and being together for it. And Dave's journey, um, he actually spoke about it at work recently. He told his story and it's completely different to mine. And... It's amazing to hear it from his perspective because I think as a man, it's like be strong for the woman. And like the reason that I'm so in awe of him is because the support that he gave me and the love and the strength all while it was just as bad for him, if not worse, because he was watching me and he was also grieving. So I think that not a lot of guys talk about it either. But um, yeah. I think that he is, he's my hero. Yeah. 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 I think speaking in this kind of way is probably, uh, would I be right in thinking, in a way it's almost like, I know you have these conversations very candidly with people, but it's it's kind of liberating, isn't it, to be able to speak in such an open, honest way? Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, I think because I'm older, wiser, I think, I don't actually care what anybody thinks about me anymore. I like, try to be a good person I do the best that I can 
I made the decisions that were best for our family. Yes. I have no regrets about it. Would I do it again tomorrow morning? Would I would I walk down that same path? Absolutely. Yeah. Um because nobody judges you after a while. You know, um you've got your tribe and they care about you. And I think people are always afraid of, oh, what will they think? What will they think? Who cares? Like they don't think anything. Mm. They yeah. don't. They might think it for like five minutes, but then they're going off doing their own thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I live my life. So yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so grateful to Anna for speaking so honestly about her experience. And I know it's going to help a lot of you who listened. Also, check the show notes for resources that may be of benefit. And please reach out for help if you need it. You've been listening to Ready to Be Real. Hey, hey, it's Kip Bodner, CMO of HubSpot. Join me and my co-host, Kieran Flanagan, CMO over at Zapier, on Marketing Against a Grain. We're not the typical regurgitated Twitter threads. These are takes from us, marketing leaders about what we're doing and what we're learning from our peers and what's working in the market and how you can apply them to your business. Everything you need to grow a modern business and have a strategy that is fit for growth in today's changing economy. Listen to our podcast, Marketing Against the Grain, wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.